This morning is the first of two Sundays in which we're designating as a time of emphasis upon global missions. And so you probably have heard a little bit of us talking about that during the announcements. We're going to try to do that every year in March. So we're calling it Missions Emphasis in March. And our goal is we really want to keep this theme of global missions and we try to keep it in front of us and in our minds in, through various ways throughout the year by praying for our missionaries, by having missions moments, by having missionaries visit the church. But this is another way that we're trying to have a, you know, a time of particular intentional focus on missions so that we can really stir up our hearts to remember that that's part of why God has left us here on the earth, why he didn't just take us straight to heaven. If you think about it, the, the reason why there was a delay between the first and second coming is because the Great Commission, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And a big part of that is missions, global missions. What we want to do is, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, we have, Ben and I, Ben Abrahamson and I, in conjunction with the elders, have been working on developing, writing out a more extensive missions policy. Not something that's like 100 pages long, but about a 10-page document that lays out, basically, our philosophy of, missions, including our understanding of biblical teaching regarding missions, as well as how practically are we going to work out various things pertaining to missions in our church. So if you think about all that could fall into that, a lot of times at the church we get people calling or sending emails or whatever asking if they would, if we would support them as a missionary. So then immediately you have one of two things is going to ha happen. Either like you're going to kind of wing it every time that happens and try to figure it out on the fly what you're going to do, or you have some kind of established way of handling those things. Well, that would be part of a missions policy, right? Or if you just say that you have someone in the church, you've been encouraging people to consider becoming a missionary, and someone says, okay, here I am, send me, and... All of a sudden, that raises all kinds of issues, right? Because maybe, how, you know, how do you know as a church whether that person should go as a missionary? So if you think about it, if someone says, I want to be a pastor, uh, well, there's some things that we got to think through there, right? Well, the same would be with missionaries, right? It's not just like, hey, I want to be a missionary. Oh, good, okay, let's put you on a plane and, or you know, call up a mission agency and send you out to a training and go. That actually is disastrous because missionary work requires gifting and qualifications and it's very challenging. So what process should a church have to actually evaluate someone who wants to become a missionary and what would be the process by which they would lead them, through which they would lead them to actually become a missionary? So these are the types of things that we as church leaders have to think through, and the types of things that we address at least briefly in our missions policy, and this policy is not just for us as leaders, but we want the whole church to understand what that policy is. That's why we are going to publish it for the church, and we're going to be disseminating the information in a variety of different ways over the years so that because I, we want it to be an expectation on the part of the whole church that, oh yeah, this is how we do things, right? And so even if you have someone who, maybe it's a friend that, that you have, that you come to us as the pastors and you say, hey, I have this friend who's going to become a missionary, be going as a missionary to so-and-so, uh, could we support him as a church, right? That we don't, that you actually, as people in the church have an understanding of kind of how we've decided to handle these things. Now, a missions policy, any of our policies are not, like, they're not, they're not set in stone. They're not something that we have to go to the church and have a, you know, go through a whole process to anytime we want to adjust it, like we would with our doctrinal statement or our constitution and our, our whole constitution and bylaws, including our doctrinal statement. That cannot be changed apart from the sort of consensus approval of the church. So every time we make a little adjustment to that, we bring it to you. A policy is different. A policy is something that, that we can adjust 
and there's more flexibility there because it's not something that's set in stone. It's just general guidelines. Okay, so I want to, uh, what, what we want to do this week and next, Ben is going to be doing this next week with you, and I'm going to be preaching this week. I'm doing the Sunday school or discipleship class, and he's preaching. But each week, we're just going to take a little section from our new missions policy. We're going to walk through it uh, with you so that we're going to start, this is one of the ways that we're going to start disseminating some of this information. Now, I want to say this. For some of you, this might be disappointing because, you know, policy. Who wants to walk through a policy? Come on. You know, like, we do enough of that in our work. And I know. See, Tom's back there like, okay, let's turn the clock forward an hour, you know. <laughs> but I tell you what, probably the reason why people think that way is because they never, they're not the ones that actually have to make decisions, right? <laughs> but as soon as you have to make decisions about things and all of a sudden it becomes very important, okay, how do we do this? And, and having an established policy that the whole church understands avoids a lot of conflict and a lot of uh, <laughs> unnecessary disunity and things around that. Why do we do it this way? You know, so we, what we're trying to do is help you understand how we as a leadership are going to approach these things and to give you an understanding of why. But precisely because this is a policy, we're generally not talking about, you know, thus saith the Lord issues. So we all understand that there's lots of things as a church that we have to figure out how we're going to work it out, but we don't have explicit teaching or guidelines from the scripture. But it doesn't mean that these things aren't important. It also doesn't mean that there's no biblical principles underneath them, but it's just that we don't have you know, explicit teaching in the scripture about how to choose a missions agency. What are the qualifications for a missionary? Now, you can see, even as I say that, what are the qualifications for a missionary? You might be thinking, you're like, well, there's some things we could say from there biblically. Well, exactly, right? There are some things that the principles that the Bible might give us, but there's also many parts of it, aspects of it, that are more what you call prudential. They're a matter of prudence, right? And we have to think through using common sense, using the light of nature to, to figure out uh, how is how we should do this. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a particular section of the mission policy where we talk about how do we approach identifying, sending, and supporting missionaries. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray and ask God's blessing upon it. And any as we go through, I want, you know, feel free at any time to raise your hand and ask questions, but we're just going to walk through this. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we have together as a church, again, to worship you today. And Lord, we thank you that we can set apart these two Sundays, as well as our midweek this week, to just focus on the subject of global missions and how we as a church can work out this commission that Christ has given us to make disciples of all nations. We know that there's an aspect of that great commission which involves just local church ministry and evangelism here in our community, but also an aspect in which we need to be mindful of the many people in the world who don't have access to the gospel, as well as churches in other parts of the world that are struggling and need help to expand their own reach. And so we just pray that you would stir up our hearts by the power of the Spirit through the Word throughout this day and next Sunday and our midweek on Wednesday to help us to have a renewed passion for uh, an understanding of the subject of global missions and particularly that Christ would be known and loved and trusted in and glorified throughout the whole world. And we think of how the prophets have told us that there will come a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And we long for that day. But until then, Lord, we know that you've sent us out to be witnesses to Christ, that, he, that, that we might be the means through which he gathers in his elect into the kingdom from the four corners of the earth until he comes again in the last day. So we pray, be with us. Work by your Spirit, we ask, through this time, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right. Well, so let's um, let's dive in here. All right. If you think about our overarching goal as a church with respect to sending missionaries, I want to start here. Our goal is to send members of our church who are qualified, so not just anyone, but members of our church who are qualified to be missionaries. All right? And uh, in just a, by way of distinction, for the purposes of our missions policy, and, for the, and you'll hear us articulate this in different ways at different times uh, in the life of our church, we think it's helpful to make a distinction between local evangelism and, and people sharing the gospel here within our own cultural context, right? Where the gospel easily flows because we all share the same culture, we all share the same language, right? We're, we're geographically around one another. <clears throat> we think it's helpful to make a distinction between that, what we might call local evangelism, and missions, which is where the gospel doesn't easily flow across certain boundaries. Um, so, because of cultural differences, because of language differences, because of geographic differences. So you think about even within a large country in Africa, you might have multiple sort of tribal groups that the gospel doesn't just easily flow through because there's a difference in language, there's a difference in a, an entire history and culture. Uh, there might be geographical separation, right? I had a, a friend of mine who went to a place in Siberia where there's basically one road in and one road out, and for a good portion of the year, guess what? That road ain't passable. And so there was actually tribal, there was people groups in that region of Siberia who had zero access to the gospel. They didn't have anyone, any church in that tribal group. And it was partly, it was mostly, not because when you went in there they were going to kill you, but because, which is true in other tribal groups, but mostly because they're just really hard to get to, right? And there would be a long process of having to understand their culture, learn their language, right? So that's what we mean by, that's what we are going to use the word missions for, is to make a distinction between local evangelism within our own sort of cultural context and missions where we're sending people into other cultural contexts to cross all those barriers that separate people and to bring the gospel to them or to minister in church contexts. There might already be a church there, but, but, it's, but it's, there's not a, a large church presence. And so we might send workers in, like in Ukraine, where Christian is laboring in a place where there's virtually no evangelical churches there, right, in a large portion of Ukraine. So, this is, uh, this is what, when we talk about missionaries, that's what we mean, in distinction from, like, more local evangelism. So our goal is to send qualified members of our church to be missionaries, and to support missionaries that are sent out from other churches, okay? So we want to be a sending church ourselves, and also to support other churches who are sending out missionaries. And what we are, our goal is that, these who are going out will be proclaiming the gospel and planting local churches among unreached people groups. This is what I just talked about with my friend who went into a completely unreached people group and they planted the first church among that people group, right? And they just started from the, from the ground up. It took years of their life, a lot of pain, heartache, a lot of things that they suffered to do that, but now there's a church there. So... That's one thing we would love, we want to be a part of, is sending people to do that and supporting people to do that, but also strengthening existing churches where the church has been established but needs help. So you think of, I always forget how to pronounce it, Anya Blenya, something like that, is the, the little church that Kristen's a part of. It's a church plant in an area of Kiev where there really are no other evangelical churches in that particular part of Kiev. You have to travel some distance. So that the church is continuing to expand there in, in Ukraine, and we would send workers in to help support that work, right? So this is the basic overarching goal, to be a sending church, to support other churches who are sending for the purpose of sending people that are going to preach the gospel and plant local churches among the unreached peoples, 
and also strengthen churches where the church has been established but needs help. Okay? Also, when we think about what it means then to send qualified members, I said that's, that's one of the things we want to do. As a sending church, we want to be sending qualified members of our church to be missionaries. So in order to do that, there has to be a real intentional process that we thought through, right? Because, you know, it's one thing to just proclaim to the people that, uh, to, like just in our preaching and teaching, hey, consider being a missionary. We want to send missionaries out. And that's it. We don't do anything else. Well, the process of getting to encouraging people to go and actually sending people, there's a lot in that process that doesn't happen automatically, right? And having gone through it with Kristen, guess what? We learned that, that it takes a lot to think through to send a missionary. So part of what I'm sharing with you today is some of the nuts and bolts that we learned in the process of actually sending a missionary out. And, and this is what we've learned. There's some things that we would do a little bit differently, but some things that we found that just in God, by God's grace we did right. And this is, this is sort of the process that we've landed on. First is evaluating potential missionaries, and these are just general bullet points, and I'm going to walk through each of them in more detail. Then preparing them to be missionaries, right? There's a preparation process. And then if we get to this point, selecting an actual missions agency. And then, of course, partnering with other churches to help us send out a missionary. And then providing ongoing oversight and care. A lot of people kind of stop here, you know, and that's as much, once they get them out, they're like, okay, good to go. Mission agency's got them, right? But... We've really seen that this is something that we cannot neglect here. This is a, a, a general overview of the process, and now what I want to do is just walk through each of these, of these bullet points. And again, feel free to stop me as we, as we go through. So first, evaluating potential mi missionaries. And I just want to pause here for a moment. There, I think there has been a trend, and, and I mean, I saw this growing up. So, a general trend is that mission, missionary work, right, when you think about it in our church, there's a lot of barriers to, go, to becoming a missionary. So, if we were to be a sending church, right, one of us would actually have to go. Did you think about that? Like, when we think of missionaries, we always think of someone out there who's kind of like this firebrand, like, willing to sacrifice everything to go and... And so, but if that's how you're thinking of it, then that would mean we would never send any missionaries out from our church because they're all out there somewhere, right? But guess what? All the other local churches in town, they're just like us, right? They just have people like us. <laughs> so if anyone is ever going to be sent out from a local church, it's got to be one of us. So just let that sink in for a second and then think about what it would take to actually become a missionary. You know, uprooting your family. If you have children, if they're still in the home, that means thinking about all of the, you know, what, how, what would it mean for their schooling and how, you know, they have to learn a new language. All of the things, just let it sink in what it would take for you to go to be a missionary, right? So now think, this has been sort of a trend in missions, in evangelicalism, is sort of people... Uh, proclaiming to the church, hey, you know, who's going to go? We need people to go, talking about the need, talking about what the Bible teaches about the importance of missions, talking about the need out there. I mean, Tom went to Uganda, right, and he came back and he sort of reported to us what life was like there, and, and part of that is the gospel need. That would be the whole continent of Africa, but also other parts of the world. Uh, add in the fact that the, the people that need the gospel most, that need missionary most, are people that are unreached, right? where there's virtually no presence there. And if there's places in the world where there's virtually no gospel witness at all, why do you think that is nowadays? They're dangerous. <laughs> right. Either one, it's very dangerous to try to reach them. You all remember the situation of the young man who actually came through Reading here at one point, who got in a little skiff 
and went out to that island off the coast of India and was immediately killed. And not to mention the fact that he would have been in big trouble with the Indian government, probably, because no one is allowed to visit those people on that island. But, I mean, this is the reality. Either it's very dangerous, or what would be another reason? Yeah, like I said before, hard to get to, very difficult. Um, so those are the two things. So now, now add that in. If you were to be a missionary to an unreached people group, large and unreached, you're either going probably to uh, mostly people in the Middle East where you know it's hard enough to, you know, for, for someone to convert to Christianity would mean that they'd be facing death, right? <laughs> and, and those seeking to convert people to Christianity would be facing death. Or very remote, very difficult to get to. Now think of what it would mean to become a missionary. Now, you know, it's one thing to go to Ukraine and live in an apartment there. <laughs> it's another thing to go to the unreached people group. So, see where I'm building to is the tendency has been, who will go? And if anyone says, yes, I'll go, it's like, all right, there we go, right? <laughs> so anyone who's willing, anyone who's willing. And in that kind of context, oftentimes you'll get people who caught up in the romanticism of the whole thing are, are, have decided they want to go. Maybe it's because of some kind of subjective desire. But that doesn't mean, by any stretch of the imagination, that that person is actually equipped both in, and qualified in terms of their character, their gifting, right? There's lots of things that, um, you know, it's, we're just talking about this with pastoral ministry when I was at the Shepherds Conference. I, pastoral ministry, the statistics in terms of pastoral ministry are just astronomically high in terms of people that are out of the ministry within five years, you know? <laughs> And, and very, very few, a very small percentage actually, who start out as a pastor finish, right? That's just here in the States, right? Imagine trying to plant churches in, you know, the unreached, among the unreached. Or, so it requires gifting and qualification to even be able to go. And even then, I mean, Ben and I just had watched a, a, a fellow who had gone over to the United Arab Emirates and... Um, eventually had to come home because of issues within his family and things that were going on, and it was just he, he didn't didn't quite make it. It wasn't a scandal or anything. It was just it just wasn't working, right? So this is this is the issue: is that not just anyone is really equipped to do this. So this is the thing. This is what evaluating potential ministry missionaries is all about, right? Sending unqualified people, which there's been a lot of that is a complete disaster. This is where you see a lot of people get out in the field and fall away from the faith, uh, get sucked into sort of the liberal theology, which oftentimes is more rife among missionaries than even here at home. You see moral compromise. You know, you stick someone out in remote Siberia. They, got, they can't speak the language. They don't know anyone. Like... Maybe they're a missionary partner that they originally sent out with. They're gone. Think of all the temptations and the pitfalls that you could fall into, right? So sending unqualified people is a total disaster, and we can't do that as a local church. And so a local church, as the sending agency, is responsible to evaluate whether a person is qualified to be a missionary before sending them. So that means that not everyone who actually says, I'll go, should be sent out by the local church. And the church, just like with, hey, I want to be a pastor. Okay, well, let's sit down, evaluate whether or not there's actual qualification there to be a pastor before we ordain you. Imagine if we operated that way. Anyone who says, I want to be a pastor, we ordain him. How would that go? So we have this responsibility to evaluate. A subjective desire to be a missionary is usually a good place to start, right? That's good. <laughs> Usually, I say, because a church, I might also inquire of someone, hey, have you ever thought about going to be a missionary to someone that we think is qualified and equipped? We might go that route, but usually a desire to go is a good place to start, but a local church would be foolish to send someone as a missionary who doesn't demonstrate many other qualities as well. And so this is just an example. You know, what would you look for in a person? Are they spiritually mature? Have they demonstrated the necessary character and gifting that they're going to need on the mission field? 
So you've heard the old adage that that plane ride from America to the mission field doesn't suddenly change you into, uh, give you all the gifts that you need. If you're not demonstrating the necessary gifts and qualifications in your character here, it's not going to magically happen to you when you go over there. It's going to be harder, right? So, for instance, if you're sending someone over to plant churches, to pre preach the gospel and plant churches, well, they should probably be elder qualified here before you send them over to do that very work over there. Now, that doesn't mean that every missionary needs to be elder qualified. We just we sent out Kristen. She was in a different. She was going to do a different role, so she, her qualifications will look a bit different uh, than that. But are they? Do they have the necessary gifting and qualification? Are they actively serving in their local church? They're not going to magically start serving overseas if they're not already actively serving in their local church. Are they regularly sharing the gospel with people? I mean, they're going over there to share the gospel. Are they doing it here? Are they discipling others? Because once they share the gospel, what are they going to have to do there? Help people grow and learn to follow Jesus. So are they doing that here? How effective are they in these things? Do they have a lot of zeal, but they're really kind of not very effective in doing these things? You know, well, that would be something that would need to be addressed because they're going to need to be effective uh, over in the field. Do they have the necessary Bible knowledge and training? There are certain things that they're going to have to be equipped with. Typically, when we hire someone to be a pastor here, for instance, we look for requisite theological training. Well, same with the missionary. Uh, do they have the physical and emotional strength that we require? You remember that we sent off the Davises, or we are supporting uh, Kyle and Hannah Davis. You guys remember the Davises? Mm -hmm. Well, they have had a desire to go to the mission field for a long time, and actually health issues that they had here were prohibitive of them going. So if you're sending someone off to go into another country where there's new diseases, new health issues, and they can barely function here, it's probably not a good idea that they go. If a person is unwilling, they're so squeamish that they, they don't even like, they can't even, they're so terrified of spiders that, you know, they can't, they hire like special spray people to, uh, well, they're, what are they going to do when they get over there and you've got everything under the sun, spiders the size of dinner plates or whatever, I don't know, I would never go there, but I'm just telling you, I'm never going to be a missionary to the ocean sharks. But you get the point. There has to be an evaluation process, right? So, and so this is where a church is not only going to look, if someone says, I want to go, they're going to evaluate, but also they're going to look for people in their church who have these qualifications to inquire whether they've ever, ever considered going as a missionary. Okay, after you've evaluated and said identified qualified members of your church who you want to send out, and those things would apply to other missionaries as well. In fact, like I remember sitting down with uh, actually any missionary that we've supported, some of them we've already supported before I came, but we, we took on uh, Kyle and Hannah, we took on Brett and Jennifer. I remember when Je Brett and Jennifer, when we decided to support them, I sat down with them. Uh, Travis and I, and we had a long lunch, and we talked about a lot of things, you know, talked about issues in their character, talked about doctrinal convictions, kind of walked through a whole checklist of things that we wanted to, you know, we trust the sending church's evaluation, because we kind of knew the sending church, but we also wanted to ask questions, too, to do our due diligence. So all of that would, would apply to not only missionaries that we send out, but missionaries that we support. i to speed this up here. But then once we've identified a missionary to send out, how do we prepare them? Well, um, a church may deem that further training is necessary to be adequately prepared. Okay, So this could look like a lot of things, right? But you might have someone, like with Kristen. Kristen, when she expressed a desire to go to the mission field, we actually took some time. We knew that we had some time. This wasn't a right-of-way thing. And we wanted her to go through some things here at the church. We wanted her to do some reading, uh, particularly on um, local church ministry, make sure that she was biblically grounded in, she was going to go over there and be part of a local church, a church plant, and understanding about what a church is, 
we knew she had a lot of experience. She'd already had a lot of teaching, but we wanted to make sure she was grounded. So we had a little reading program. We also had her talk with extensively a, another, a, a former missionary in our church. And, and there were some things like that that we felt like this would help her get prepared. In some cases, you might say, well, if a person really wants to go this route, like the same way if a person said, I want to be a pastor, one of the things we might consider is having them attend seminary where they can get a more robust theological education. Well, if they're going to go over there and plant churches, chances are they need that same kind of training, right? So if they haven't had that, we might that might be the place to start. Bible college or seminary training. Or it may involve a more ministry experience in the church. Okay, well, if this is your ultimate goal, let's start giving you opportunities here to do more of the same kinds of things that you're going to be doing over there. So maybe they have a lot of zeal, but not much experience, say, in discipling and evangelism. They say, I have a desire to be a missionary as a young person. You know, let's just take a Caleb Rowe or whatever, right? He says, I want to be a missionary, but he's only 20? 21. 21. And Wendy's like, no, no, put your hand down. <laughs> we're not, we're not going. But maybe, maybe you might. Um, the Lord might be gone. But let's just take Caleb it has, has some experience in ministry, right? He served on the, the worship team. Um, he's served with the youth group. But maybe there's areas of his uh, equipping that he has no experience in, right? So we might say, Caleb, I want I, I see character there. I see, I, I love your zeal. Let's start working toward this goal. Let's give you some, let's start talking about how do you share the gospel with someone? How, do you, how would you disciple someone, right? And then give him experience in that. And then eventually you may send him to get more further theological training, right? So in other words, a process here. And then, of course, it may also involve some kind of formal or informal missions-related experience. So if someone says they want to be a missionary, one of the things you might do is say, okay, let's plan, first and foremost, that you're going to accompany you know, Ben Abrahamson to uh, Honduras to visit the um, Montoyas, right? And we're going to get you some experience out of the country before you devote your life to travel to some other country and you've never even been out of California or whatnot. It might be as simple as getting them some experience. Or uh, there's also training programs. There's a, a, a training program in I think Tijuana is where they're based, right Ben? Called Radius International. And what they do is they take people who are, are going to be missionaries in the field and they put them through a rigorous sort of pra practical training where they give them uh, they try to help them understand this is what it's actually going to be like to be a missionary. Very helpful, and a lot of people are seeing a lot of fruit from that. It involves both sort of practical and doctrinal components to it. So it, it, that might be a that might be an aspect of it. By the way, STM, short-term mission, right? It's sort of the little acronym. And so, and then of course, uh, if you're going to go to uh, another country, you're eventually what there's going to have to happen in our day especially is there's going to be have to have to be some training in the culture and the language of that which is oftentimes facilitated by uh, a missions agency but in other words there needs to be a preparation there needs to be a training process for someone who's going to be a missionary to be adequately prepared now so you've identified someone there's been a preparation process right so you know five years down the road Caleb has shown and he's grown he's got experience he's been off to seminary he's got a theological education and now we're ready to send him we believe we've recognized he has a desire he's qualified he's got the necessary preparation he needs what's the next step well the next step is selecting a missions agency so we went through this process with Kristen in fact one of the interesting things was we actually explored the idea of could you send could we send Kristen without operating using a mission agency? Because a mission agency does, it, it does require additional funding, right? We have to pay uh, some funds to the mission agency to pay them for the services that they provide. But also, I think when we first started out with this, we thought, you know, what, you know, what is, biblically speaking, is a mission agency legitimate or not? You don't see mission agencies in the Bible. What's the point, purpose of them? Are they important? 
Well, <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. Uh, I think we sort of landed on the fact that in our day especially, it would be very difficult to send out a missionary without partnering with a missions agency. So we want to be very clear that missionaries are sent out by local churches, right? Some amorphous group out there detached from the local church, right? A parachurch organization. They're not the ones that send out missionaries. Who is the Great Commission given to? The, the church, right? So local churches send out missionaries. However, the complications of living and ministering in a foreign country, especially today where we have established nations, right? Geopolitical nations with governments and laws and all this stuff that, you know, when you're in the 17th century and, you know, you were going to go land, you know, sail in a ship and land on the shores of Burma, now Myanmar, they're not going to be there, government agents, checking your bags, checking your passport. <laughs> there wasn't like, it, it was a lot different, right? But now, you can't just go to another country without thinking through a lot of stuff. And you can easily get yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't know what you're doing and you try to go, go as a missionary to another country. There's a lot of complicating factors. I'm just imagine what, what happened if you sent a missionary, a missionary, let's just say we sent a missionary to Russia. They're in Russia right now. And you got this complication now. The borders are closed, people are not getting out, like you got a war going on. What do you do? Well, this is the very type of complication that missionaries who have expertise and knowledge, that's what they're devoting themselves to, is understanding what it takes and working through all the complications, so legal issues. How do you get insurance in another country? Medical care, evacuation plans in cases of emergency, things like this. Understanding also they have expertise in turn, understanding the culture, the language of where you're going. A lot of times the mission agency provides the specialized training that you're going to need to go to a particular country and reach and unreach people groups. So you see, usually there are exceptions to this. So for instance, one exception is Eric Zeller who's a missionary in Dubai, he's not working through a mission agency, I think. There is a, a mission agency that handles the financial finances, but it's not your standard mission agency. Because of the situation there, because of his experience and, and the, the special relationships that he has, it wasn't necessary. But usually, it's critical to partner with a mission agency. And that's what it is, right? It's a parachurch organization that serves the local church, partners with the local church to serve them and help them send out a missionary. But the church is sending a missionary. The mission agency is helping you do that. Does that make sense? Okay. And then the next thing is that the sending church should help a candidate find a mission agency. So in other words, you don't go, okay, well, just go find a mission agency. That would be good. No, it's very good for a church to help because... And this is what we did with, with Kristen. You know, we went through a long process of sort of looking around. By the way, ABWE is the mission agency that we chose to go with. So, not every mission agency is equal, right? <laughs> Just like in town here, if you're choosing a church, you realize real quickly not all churches are the same. Not all mission agencies are the same. Many of them are doctrinally compromised. Many of them don't, don't have a biblical philosophy of ministry. Many of them have gone sideways on a lot of different issues and so you have to be careful there are a few mission agencies out there that would sort of be like-minded to us but we went through a process of figuring out who those were what the different options were and then finding one that's a good fit both for your candidate and with respect to the convictions biblically and philosophy of ministry with you as a church and with the candidate, right? So we want to find a mission agency who shares a lot in common with us, and that's true of ABWE. Historically, they've been a part of sort of conservative Baptist circles. In fact, the B, I think, initially was Baptist, um, although they're broader now. But you don't, first of all, you need a mission agency who, for instance, knows, has teams with expertise in the country that you want to send them to. And then also, sometimes, depending on what you want to do. So initially, Christian wanted to 
explore the idea of working on a team that would be doing Bible translation. Ah, well then, the mission agency you want to partner with probably should have expertise in Bible translation, right? And so that's why we're looking at Wycliffe, and there are others as well. Uh, but also, sharing your theological convictions and your philosophy of ministry. So, ABWE loves the fact that we view Christian as not just being now the ward of ABWE. Okay, well, take care of her, guys. We'll see you. And when you come back and visit us, let us know how it goes. ABWE loves the fact, because this is their philosophy of ministry too, that we view ourselves as still having ongoing responsibility to provide oversight and care to Christian. And they love that, right? And so they openly communicate with us and encourage us in that role. Well, that's the type of thing that you need to think through. And then finally, they're going to assist in providing with the care and training and oversight aspect. So we provide oversight and care to Christian as best we can, but they help with that, right? And we gladly delegate some of that to, to them because they have trainings that we can't provide, expertise that we don't have. They have people in the field. So Mike Gustafson is sort of the regional director for the Ukraine, the part of Ukraine that she's in, and Mike has a special relationship with Kristen and with all of the missionaries there. Provide, he helps make decisions on the ground. You know, should Kristen take another year of language training or not? Well, I don't know. Ben doesn't know. But we do ask that question. We say, Mike, you know, she says that she's switching now to studying Ukrainian. Is that what she should be doing? Like, is she proficient enough in Russian? Oh, we have a conversation with Mike. He explains the situation. We go, okay, Mike, that sounds good. Let's go with that. The decision is still, we're providing her with leadership. I wouldn't say the decision is just ours, but, but Mike has on-the-ground understanding. You know, he's learned the language. And he knows how it should probably work, and he works with us to help make wise decisions for Christians. So you see, this is part of what the missionary is, mission agency is going to do. Uh, mission agency is often very helpful if your missionary is all of a sudden becoming isolated, depressed. Maybe there's spiritually they're in trouble, right? Well, the person on the ground there who has direct supervision is going to help recognize that and see that if we try to contact Kristen we can't get a hold of her what are we going to do? I'm not going to fly to Ukraine I mean I would if I had to right? but there's someone there so this is why mission agency is so important partnering with other churches this is the next step obviously usually the sending church is not going to be able to provide all the financial support that their missionary needs now we would like to we think it's helpful if the sending church provides a very substantial amount of the financial support rather than just a little bit. Because this is our missionary that we're sending out, a member of our church, so it behooves us to be the primary financial supporter. However, we can't do it all. So it's necessary to recruit other churches and individuals to partner with the sending church in providing necessary financial support. You guys are all familiar with this. You know, so Kristen has about, I think, three or four other churches that have joined in providing monthly support. And she also has individuals, family members, Christian mm -hmm. friends that are giving monthly to her. And that's necessary to, to provide the financial need. Now, we believe that it's wise. This, again, this is not a thus saith the Lord issue. But we believe it's wise to have fewer churches who provide more substantial support. There's been a trend among churches, and Kristen was even talking about how this, her home church that she grew up in in Santa Rosa, who does support her, have been going through a sort of change in this regard. There's been a trend for churches to support like 30 missionaries with very small amount per month. What would be a motivation, a potential motivation for doing that? What do you think? Types of needs. Yeah, so you can be involved with a lot of different kinds of work, right? What else? A lot of ground. A lot of people, a, little, a lot of different locations, rather. Right, yeah, so different types of works, but also different locations. Yeah. What else? Let's be cynical for a moment. It looks like they're. Oh, man, it looks sent on a website. Uh, that looks good. our missions page. We've got 30 missionaries. we got people working in Africa, 
Austria, I mean, like wherever, I mean, Austria. But we've got people working all over the world. We supported 30 missionaries, right? Let's be cynical for a moment. That probably factors in, in to a degree as well. But the problem is, is then what kind of connection do you have if you're supporting 30 different missionaries with each of those missionaries? Probably more connection with some and less, a very few, very little with others, perhaps with most of them. Oftentimes churches are just very disconnected from their missionaries because of that. They have a vague understanding. They're not able to pray more intentionally, talk with more intentionally. They're missionaries because they have so many of them. So this is why we believe the course of wisdom is that support fewer missionaries with a greater amount. So that there's a greater connection between you and the missionary. And also, like, when the missionary goes to visit their supporting churches, they can spend more time with each of their churches and develop a closer relationship. We, we can pray much more easily for six missionaries, right, or seven, whom are supporting substantially than 30 or or 40, or 50, right? And and I, we would say that as pastors, over the years since I've been here, I've tried to reach out personally and connect with personally. I keep ongoing communication through email and sometimes Zoom calls and other things with our missionaries to try to remain personally connected. They know me personally. I just talked with Eric Zeller and Mark Christopher at the Shepherds Conference. We sat down over lunch for an hour. Like, we know them better. And we think this is a better formula, and it can work if churches are more intentional about that, because the money's still there, right? If everyone sort of took this tack, if we'd be able to support the same amount of missionaries, but perhaps, and if you're a, a massive church with tons of resources, well, then 30 might not actually be that many for you. But for smaller churches, you know, supporting 30 missionaries at like 50 bucks a month, you know, each one or whatever, that's where I think... We just need to rethink it. Also, we believe it's uh, important to partner with churches who are sufficiently like-minded that perhaps we would consider supporting one of their missionaries, right? Because, you see, the more, the less like-minded we are in, in terms of supporting churches, the more potential there is for conflict and problems. Over the years, we've had issues with getting involved with a mission work where there was quite a bit of difference, and then all of a sudden they're doing things on the field, and then other support, if you have another supporting church who is like kind of way out there, you know, you're sending out a missionary, right? So I can't control what Eric Zeller or Carlos Montoya does. That's up to their sending church. But if we're sending it, we want to try to help our missionary partner with other churches that have enough commonality with us that there can be a camaraderie, there can be mutual communication, certain shared values, etc. And we don't run into problems as much as possible. All right? So that's partnering with other churches, and then providing ongoing oversight and care. So this is the part where a lot of churches have been in the habit of just entrusting this entirely to their mission, to the mission agency. Once they're sent out, it's all the missionary's job to provide oversight and care. But we think that that's not wise. If this is a member of our church, and we're sending them off as a missionary, we believe that we are responsible to at least ensure that that missionary has appropriate pastoral care and accountability. So think of it on a smaller scale. If someone is a member of our church and they move to, you know, Oklahoma, we don't immediately just say, okay, well, as soon as they move, we have no, long, no further connection with them. No. First thing we do is we try to help them find a good local church there. Stay in communication with them. Make sure that until they're entrusted into the care of other pastors that we're providing that pastoral care and responsibility, right? So if they move to Oklahoma and they're looking around for a church and all of a sudden we figure out that, you know, Bob has wants a divorce, totally unlawful, we'd still be like, well, there is no one else. Like, they're still actually technically a member of our church. We're going to enter in and try to provide pastoral care and responsibility and, and accountability. Well, the same with that with that missionary. We have we have responsibility as pastors for the oversight of that person's soul, which is where Hebrews thirteen seventeen comes in. So we need to at least ensure that they're either either we're still responsible for them, or they're ideally entrusted into the pastoral care of a local church there. 
Now, obviously, if they're going to an unreached people group, there ain't no church. So that's where you might have ongoing pastoral responsibilities of that person. But as we look at this, just go through this quickly, some of the oversight will be delegated to the mission agency, as I already explained. And eventually, like Kristen, she joined a local church there. Well, a lot of the immediate pastoral care and accountability church-wise is going to be then delegated to that local church that they're at. But even there, we're always going to maintain a close relationship and provide ongoing accountability. Why would Kristen still be accountable to us no matter what, even if she is a part of another local church on the mission field? Why must there always still be some accountability from us? Right, because we're the sending church, and we still have connections. What's the immediate thing you think of in terms of our connections? Financial. Financial, right? So you can't, <laughs> there's no way a sending church, even just considering the financial component, like if a missionary in the field decides, you know what, I no longer believe that Jesus is God, you know. <laughs> well, you can't keep supporting them, right? So there has to be ongoing connection a relationship there, an understanding of what's going on, and accountability. So that if nothing else, at least your church withdraws financial support of someone who's sort of going sideways. But ideally, you're maintaining an ongoing relationship of accountability and care that's appropriate to the situation. If they're a member of a church there, well then she they have pastors, and they have church discipline, but we still have some measure of accountability and care because we're the sending church, right? Now, what does this look like at Cow Creek? Well, let's just take, think Kristen here, but this is kind of what we've been doing. Regular communication from the pastors and other members of the church, both we communicate with Kristen and other members. Intentional conversation during those communications. In other words, when we talk about with Kristen, we ain't just talking about the weather. You know, how are you doing? Are you staying in the word and prayer? Are you becoming discouraged? Are you, you know, we talk about spiritual issues. We talk about the work there. We try to understand, you know, where are you at in the process of doing this? You know, your language training, etc. Try to encourage her if she's not maybe actively sharing the gospel. We try to encourage, hey, you know, what are some ways that, that we can... So, intentional conversation. Prayer for and with the missionary. Periodic in-person visits, Right? You remember, the, I just we just finished Second Timothy. At the end of all, so many of the New Testament letters, there are these mentions of people, and you realize that they're with Paul, but they came from other churches, right? Thessalonica, or Ephesus, or Corinth. Well, one of the things that was going on is that members of the, the local church were visiting the missionary. And I think this is... so. Kristen will come back and visit us on furlough, but we also might send members of our church to visit her, right? And in fact, this is kind of what we've talked about in terms of short-term mission to Ukraine, is not so much going over there and putting on some big event, but sending members of our team to visit her, pray with her, encourage her, see the work that she's doing to be able to bring back a report to the church, right? And just cultivate bonds of ongoing care, fellowship, support through in-person visits, and then communication with parties in the mission agents who are responsible for supervising her. So we were in contact with Mike Gustafson, her supervisor, when everything went down in Ukraine. We're like, well, what's going on? You know, and he communicated with us as well as Kristen, and we've been keeping tabs of, on, you know, through her leadership, what's the plan going forward, etc. And then decisions pertaining to the missionary made by the eldership of the sending church in conjunction with the missionary and the mission agency. So we've got some decisions coming up with Kristen. If she can't get back in Ukraine, what's she going to do? Is she going to come home? Does she go to another country? If so, what about language, training, etc.? So we help with that. We don't just say, well, you figure it out. <laughs> ABWE or Kristen, you know, just let us know what you decide, right? That wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good for her. It wouldn't be good for us. All right, and then finally... What about supporting missionaries from other churches? Because this is, remember I said we want to be a sending church and we want to support those who are sending. So what about, how do we determine, what's our policy regarding supporting missionaries from other churches? This is a big issue because, you know, people contact us all the time. 
about, you know, I'm going on a mission. Would you, I just got an email last week from someone asking if we would support them. What do we do? Well, we're going to partner with other churches and supporting missionaries that they're sending out. In evaluating requests to do this, we consider the personal connection to our church. So, in other words, is this someone in Timbuktu we don't know? Is this a relative? Like, you know, Brett and Jennifer were connected to our church through the Del Vecchios. She is Tom and Teresa's daughter. Or is there, like, for me, the Davises. I had a connection with them because I used to pastor at the church that sent them out. And that church is relatively close. So whenever they come back and visit that church, they can easily come visit us, right? We can maintain a good personal connection. It's not just like someone who we'll never see. And also, similarity in doctrine and philosophy of ministry. I tell you what, you want to have trouble real quick. You send out, you partner in sending out a missionary who has significant philosophical philosophy of ministry differences. In other words, they're going out, and you think they're going to be a missionary... And they're doing something totally different. They're digging wells or whatever. Well, that's a good thing, but that's not, we, that's not, you know, we don't put that in the category of missions. That's a good work, well worth, but that's not why we supported you, right? So, you see, philosophy of ministry, doctrinal issues, again, sometimes issues like their understanding of the charismatic gifts and things like that can be an issue because that's going to, Oftentimes that plays in significantly where they're going in a certain part of the world. We want to develop a strong connection with any missionary we support to serve them as well. So, like I said, I keep in contact with Eric Zeller, for instance, in Dubai. We're not the sending church, but when I went to the Shepherds Conference, we connected. We spent some time together talking. We get his updates and... We don't just, I don't just get the updates. I respond to them and say, oh, that's, you know, I'll be praying for that, brother. You know, ask questions. We try to cultivate a good relationship with them. And then finally, we believe it's wise to provide more support to fewer missionaries rather than the other way around, which is what I already talked about. Okay, so lastly, because we're out of time here, I've just said a lot of things that we're going to try to do. You guys all remember the story of Joshua and how... You know, he conquered I or uh, Jericho through marching around the city seven times. The walls fell down. And then there was that little town, and he was like, Lord, I got this. And just send in a few thousand guys and take that town out. And the Lord was like, excuse me. And the armies of Israel turned tail and run, and then they had to go through this whole process of figuring out why the Lord, and it was a very clear message, you ain't doing nothing apart from me, right? I don't care how small or how big. As Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, right? Abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do nothing, right? So even as we plan, try to develop a wise policy, how we're going to handle all this, we have to do nothing without the Lord, right? And so everything has to be done with the spirit of dependence and knowing that through our frailties and weaknesses, the Lord is often pleased to work through to draw a straight line with a broken with a bent stick. And and we're the crooked stick. And we're not going to be perfect in these things. We're going to make mistakes. And the Lord works through it all. But we have to have this attitude of dependence. Every day we pray, give us this day, even our daily bread. Right? So this is just a little taste of the things we've been thinking through. We wanted you guys to know and understand these things so that there's a beginning to develop a common church-wide understanding of how we would approach identifying, preparing, and uh, ascending and supporting missionaries. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll let you go. Father, we thank you for our time this morning talking about policy issues, but, but working through really what are matters of wisdom, matters of prudence, and Lord, we know that there's some biblical principles behind these things and also just other things, common sense and broader, broader wisdom issues. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be wise in this area of identifying and sending and supporting missionaries. And we want to be a sending church. We thank you for the privilege of sending Kristen, and we pray that you would raise up more people from our membership who would, whom you would call and equip and for us to send out as missionaries. We think of the many people in the world who um, 
have virtually no access to the gospel, no local church that they can attend, period, let alone a healthy one. And help us keep cultivating in our hearts a desire to see them come to know Christ. Fill us with such a love for Christ and such a reverence for Him. It would give us a holy discontentment to know that there are people out there who have never even heard of Him. And that we might heed the call to go. And that each of us might consider whether we're called. Uh, but then, Lord, as a church, help us to be wise and prudent and biblical in the way that we go about raising up, preparing and sending and supporting missionaries. And so we ask that you would bless our time to that end, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.